everyone, and welcome to Linux Crazy Podcast. This is podcast number 91. And in this podcast, I interview a longtime Linux user, uh, J.D. Horlick. He currently lives in New York City, and he's a system administrator for his uh, day job. And uh, he's a longtime Linux user and currently using Gen 2. And I met um, JD on IRC, and he told me uh, in the interview, actually, he told me that he'd actually uh, talked to me before that, but I didn't remember. And I think I have my phone interview uh, system working pretty well. I, uh, when I recorded the interview with Jane, it didn't come out too well because I had a new system uh, for recording the phone interviews. I uh, used to record all my interviews with, uh, I had an asterisk server running at the house, and I would record the interviews using my asterisk server. But when I relocated, I didn't uh, redo the asterisk server for a couple reasons. One was it didn't seem very cost-effective to be running a server just to do uh, podcast interviews. And number two, I had already learned everything I needed to learn. I basically installed the asterisks to learn how to use the asterisks. And so I'd already kind of gotten bored with that. And uh, the cost of the power to keep a server running and plus the motivation of just maintaining it was gone. So when I moved, I just figured I would just not use that box as an asterisk server anymore. So I didn't. And I came up with my first plan for doing the phone uh, recordings was with recording into this uh, Olympus device. And the problem I had with that was was regulating the volume, the uh, incoming and outgoing volume. Uh, so you'll notice in the last podcast interview uh, that I did with Jane, her actual side of the conversation sounds pretty good. But my side of the conversation is real loud and distorted. Uh, one of the main reasons that mine was uh, distorted was that I was trying to, uh, with audacity, I tried to tone my side down and uh, leave hers alone, and it actually didn't work out too well. I didn't do a very good job, to be honest with you. So I got fed up with it, and I just left it, and I got tired of fooling with it. So I started coming up with a new system. So I think I have a pretty good system. My new system is this. Um, I actually have adapters that plugs into the receiver on the phone. I had tried one of those microphones you put in your ear, and it didn't work out too well. It, the quality wasn't there. So I think I have the quality pretty good. What Actually, what this does is this uh, it's got an adapter that plugs into the receiver. And from that, I have another adapter that I plug into the microphone port on my M-Audio uh, USB sound device. What makes this so nice is it actually records directly into um, Audacity. So I can see the recording and uh, live. I can see the how much volume is on my end and how much volume is on the uh, person that I'm interviewing. So I can regulate that if I need to uh, 
turn my volume down or up a little bit, I can do that. Or if I need to turn the volume up or down on the uh, other person, I can do that too also. So I can get it pretty close uh, for the initial recording. So if I get the initial recording pretty close, then the uh, leveler will do a pretty good job. I had tried to, uh, a couple people had uh, suggested to use the Levelator, which is a program, and it's actually not, they, they do offer it for Linux, but it's actually not open source. So I didn't really want to fool with it too much. Then once I went ahead and investigated it, it's only available for Ubuntu anyhow. So I use uh, Gentoo, so it's not even really available for Gentoo. So I, I can't use that. But anyhow, I got my system here working. I think it's working pretty good. You'll be able to tell on this uh, interview here. So from here on out, I think all my interviews are going to be, the sound quality will be way better. So with that, I, uh, I hope you hear, uh, enjoy the interview, and here we go with uh, J.D. Horlick. Bye-bye. Hey, David. Hey, J.D., how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, I just have to watch it so I don't talk too loud. Looks like maybe I'm talking too loud right now. Let me see here. Okay. Yeah, with uh, I'm using Audacity. And the benefit with uh, with this new way I'm doing it is I can actually see the the volumes, you know, as it's recording. Yeah. And before I was uh, I was recording into this uh, Olympus device, and I didn't even have any idea like if I was going to be too loud or if the other person was talking too soft, because I couldn't I didn't, couldn't see what was going on. So. Ah, uh, was yeah. Was that Olympus thing one of those little like memo recorders? Yes. Yeah. Ah, yeah. yeah. I had ch I had to change because I used to record it with. Um, I had an asterisk server that I, at my house that I was. I, basically, I did it just to learn how to do asterisk, and and I was playing around with that. And I had it for a few years, and I would record the podcast on that, and it was pretty easy to edit because it recorded uh, two sides of the conversation. So I had the person talking and me talking so if i needed to adjust the volume if i was too loud or the other person was too loud whatever i could adjust it because it was two separate recordings but this new this new system i had no way of adjusting so the first one i did when i interviewed jane it was wasn't too good so i had to i was way too loud and i could hardly hear her so i had to try to level it out and it, it didn't come out so great <laughs> uh yeah, yeah. I, I I do have a recommendation for you though. Uh, yeah. If if you have like leveling problems in the future, there's a piece of software I believe it's open source called the uh, Levelator. Right. Which basically does all the leveling for you, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, which is nice. Yeah, I I had used it a couple times and it's it did okay, but it, I guess it maybe because mine was so far off that it it was too much to to do it but to be honest i didn't try it with this last i didn't try it with this last one but I yeah think, and and i mean that's the thing you know if it's way off it really can't do much at that point yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately yeah so but anyhow i think i got it pretty much uh figured out now uh i just have to still have to watch myself to make sure i don't talk too loud i have the tendency of really you know being a real loud speaker so uh yeah but anyhow uh yeah, I, I, I didn't 
when I moved, I moved to a bigger apartment, and I didn't I didn't do the asterisk server again, only because I just didn't want to go through all the hassle. Because it you know it, it maintaining a server. I mean, there's there's a lot of work involved, uh, you know, time involved just to make sure to kept it up to date, and and yeah. and plus the power uh, issue. So if I'm not going to be using it that much, if I'm just going to have an asterisk server running just for a couple of podcast recordings. I was uh, wanting to try to come up with a new way, and I think this way is going to be pretty good. I have uh, what it is is it ties into the, the receiver of the phone, actually the phone line, and it goes into my. I have a USB M audio. It's like a sound device, and it goes into the sound device through the microphone. You can hook up a regular microphone to this, but I had to get the adapters to hook up to it. So it's actually a direct recording right straight into um, Audacity, and I can see Audacity right now as it's recording. So there's no guessing, uh, is it getting recorded, is it not, you know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, unless, I guess, Audacity crashes. But I, I've been really lucky here with this, uh, you know, since I've been running uh, Gen 2, uh, most of the stuff, once it seems like it gets installed, once it gets installed, if I can get it installed, it seems like most programs, I don't have too much of a problem of them crashing once they're installed, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I love about Gen 2 is that, you know, you install something and pretty much no matter what it is, it works right out of the box. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Could you please tell our listeners about yourself? Um, I'm just a pretty much regular guy. Um, I'm a sysadmin at a telecom company here in New York City, mm-hmm. and Linux is, we use it on the servers at work, but it's pretty much just a really great hobby of mine. Um, my history with Linux is basically, you know, I played around with it in the 90s, and it just wasn't for me. I played around with it in 2004, and then in 2007, I was running Windows Vista, and it was horrible, so I switched to Linux, and I've been loving Linux ever since. What motivated you to become involved in open source projects and become a Gen 2 user? Well, involved in open source, um, I really just wanted to give back, because I feel I'm using all this great free software, and you know, this great community, so why not give back? Um, and to become a Gen 2 user, uh, the last distro I was on was Arch Linux, and um, I, I was, in the later days when I was on it, I became very disappointed with how the developers were running things. So I wanted a distro that offered me flexibility, not one choice like Arch Linux does and so I found Gentoo. Yeah, I ran across JD when we he was um, on IRC on the um, x86. There's a channel that we do some Arch testing where uh, we, tr- we run the programs before it goes to stable and uh, JD was looking for a way to get back and uh, that's how I ran across JD. Actually, you ran across me once before. Really? Uh, about, ooh, I want to say, two or three weeks ago, uh-huh. I actually donated uh, 50 bucks to Gentoo. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, and, and you emailed me, and it was just under my other Gmail account because that's where my PayPal is. 
Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, what happened with me was I had donated some money to, oh, Gnome, I think it was. Yeah, it was Gnome, because I was using Gnome at the time, and I was like, well, man, I just keep using this, and I don't ever really do anything. So I think I donated $20 one time to Gnome or, or joined up for their something. And they were nice enough. They sent back a actual thank you email. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. So when I started, uh, I got involved with the trustees, I was like, I saw these people donating money, and I was like, well, it'd be nice for somebody to, uh, you know, send a thank you like I got. You know, it's just a small little touch that um, I thought was pretty cool because uh, it's really easy to do. It only takes a second of my time. It's basically, the re the reply is all, you know, it's already made out. All I do is click a couple buttons and uh, and then say thank you for the donation. But I ran it by the uh, trustees, the foundation first, to make sure it was okay with them, you know, before I started doing it. <laughs> of course, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, was, that was great getting an email thanking me for my donation. Well, great. At least I've, I've only had like two or three people say anything, so it makes me feel good that at least my time is well spent. Thank you. What aspects of Gen 2 do you feel the developers and the maintainers have gotten right? Um, I feel they've gotten right quite a bit. Um, I love how Gen 2 is so flexible because of all the use flags and all the, um, you know, different versioning you can do and all that. And it's also very simple. It's not like it stores, the, for example, the package information in a database, which, you know, you have to write a custom database handler for. All the package information is in flat files. So, you know, because of that, Gen2 basically... There are three package managers you can use. And um, the, the other thing I like is that the versioning of packages is actually very sane because, as we all, you know, as we all know, there's stable, there's testing, and then there are hard mask packages. And it just seems like the right packages are hard masked and testing at the right time. If that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Uh, how long have you been using Gen two? Um, I've I've played around with Gen two back in two thousand seven and two thousand eight, but um, I didn't really love it back then because I was trying it on kind of a crappy system, a two point four gigahertz Pentium four, uh -huh. and also I didn't know how to do anything. Um, you know. Back in back then, for example, uh, I thought to temporarily unmask one package, you put, you know, accept keywords, kill day x86 before the emerge command, and that was the only way to run the testing version of a package. Right. I know now that there's, you know, Etsy portage, uh, package.keywords and package.use and all these great things, but... You know, back then I was kind of an idiot. Well, not really, because it's a lot of stuff to um, to get to know, and uh, and it's documented somewhat. But really, the only way to really find out a lot of the information is actually doing it and asking. IRC is a great resource, but even the forums and everything else is asking people and just spending time doing it. 
the main I learned by breaking stuff really to be honest with you a lot of times I would do something wrong and then I would try to figure out how to fix it and I would run across the correct way of doing something that I should have done it the way from the beginning but it's just time it just takes time to be able to figure all that stuff out really seems like to me exactly and as everyone says you know the first time you install Gentoo, you will break everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's it's not for someone that just wants to do an install. I can see a lot of people. Uh, I've used Arch too, and I liked Arch. Uh, but I can see a lot of people using, uh, you know, Ubuntu and some one of the other binary distros, just because they just they just don't want to spend a whole lot of time. I really kind of enjoy the time. It's like you said, for me too, it's a hobby. So I I don't have any problem spending the time on IRC and everything because I enjoy it. So now, if I didn't enjoy it, there would be no reason to go through all the pain and suffering that I do sometimes. Exactly, agreed. And, and honestly, I think kind of, you know, the pain and the compile times are worth the amount of flexibility you get, and there really is no way to have a distribution this flexible that's not source-based. What is it about Gen 2 you would like to see improved? Honestly, there's not much. The two things I'd like to see improved is I'd like to see kind of Arch teams and people who work on bumping packages get a little bit quicker. And I'd also like to see um, something like the Arch user repository, the AUR. Um, for the listeners who don't know, what the AUR is, is it's a website that is for Arch Linux that you can upload. You know, you just make an account, you sign up for an account, and it's automatic. And then you can upload any package you want. And there's no barrier to entry whatsoever, and it's very simple. And I think Gen 2 needs some, would really benefit from something like that. Yeah, I know there's some interest. Uh, Gen 2 is a little bit different the way, you know, since it's not binary, the way the, the packages are, are, are done, but they're talking about uh, revising the proxy maintainer um, project, which is basically you can have a regular developer. If there's a package that you want to include in the Gen 2 Portage tree, and you can be the proxy maintainer, and there's going to be a group of developers that will proxy maintain the packages for you. So that's kind of similar. Uh, I hope that gets gets going. Yeah, and, and the Sunrise project yep. and Overlight is also kind of similar, but it seems like both of those have a bit more of a barrier to entry mm -hmm. than the AUR, which is why, you know, that's kind of why the AUR is so great, is, you know, in five minutes, you can be submitting, you know, a hundred packages. Mm -hmm. They, um, I guess the, the, the Sunrise project, I know that is kind of a, a breeding ground for future developers. I mean, it's a, it's another way of people, of regular users of getting their packages included, but also it's a it's a way that the developers can interact with uh, users. To uh, Gentoo's always looking for developers, but the 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 learning curve is so steep as far as just. Um, I know I was trying to do it myself, and just you know you almost have to be very very knowledgeable in the way all these libraries and. There's a whole bunch of different stuff, not just the Gen 2 way of doing things, but just the general the way Linux is 
is actually run and the backbone of Linux, how it's actually everything works together. You have to have a very good knowledge of that in order to, uh, you know, create the, not, not really to create the e-bills, but just to understand the whole process. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a lot to learn. So the learning curve, my, my I'll make a long story short, the, the learning curve is, is a lot to, in, in order to become a full-fledged, you know, Gen 2 developer. And so they're, you know, they want the Sunrise project is there and I'm hoping this proxy maintainer kind of takes off, uh, so that maybe more users will feel, you know, a little more, more comfortable about getting, you know, maybe a little more involved. Agreed. Yeah, that, that, the proxy maintainer thing will definitely help, I think. What do you think Gen 2 offers that you don't get in any other distro? Well, uh, like I said, I think it's the flexibility. You know, I don't know any other distro where, like, for example, you know, 90% of my system is on the stable tree, and I'm just running the latest versions of Vim and Git and Firefox. Um, you know, it... And like I said, there's a whole flexibility with versioning and and use flags and all that that I just I've never seen before in any other distro. Yeah, you can actually run a uh, a stable system and then run if you have there's a driver that you need from the latest greatest kernel somewhere, you can actually run just that that fancy kernel that newer kernel to get the driver that you need for your. Uh, whatever it is, and still be running a, everything else stable. Exactly, and and stable is you know for the most part just as stable as you know CentOS or Debian stable or you know a truly stable distro. Do you have an opinion about the future viability of Gen two? Um, honestly, I think Gen two's future is really going to be a good one because back when I first tried it on my old Pentium 4, um, it took about 10, 12 hours to do a full install. And now on my desktop, uh, which is, has eight cores, it took, you know, total time, maybe two, three hours to do a full install, including, you know, GNOME. And I think that's only going to improve Gen 2's viability because, you know, a lot of people are down on Gen 2 because of the compile times, and computers are getting faster and faster, but, you know, project source code isn't really getting any bigger, so, you know, it's just going to be less and less of an issue. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely... Uh, with the power of the computers now, it's, it's, it's not that big an issue as it was in the, you know, like you said, a few years back. Exactly. What are some of the projects within Gen 2 that you would consider contributing to? Well, I'm looking around, um, probably mainly to the, uh, x86 project, um, because really that's the sort of stuff I like to do, kind of, you know, bumping packages and, and doing arch testing and stuff like that. Um, I might contribute to the Perl project in Gen 2, uh, but that's probably about it. The, the other projects don't really interest me all that much. 
What open source programs would you like to see developed? Well, the one thing I'd like to see developed at this point is a fork of GNOME 2. But other than that, there's really nothing that I'd like to see, honestly. I mean, I've tried GNOME 3 and I've tried Unity and GNOME 3 was actually the straw that broke the camel's back that pushed me to Gen 2. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, change isn't easy, and, uh, but I can understand your point. I've, I tried it too just to see what it was like and, uh, they, they, they've kind of got it so, everything so dumbed down that, uh, and then it's so hard to do any, you know, they, every desktop almost looks the same. And the whole idea, I like Linux, is that each one looks completely different. Now, my GNOME is probably pretty similar to everybody else's, but still, I can, at least I can change it almost any way I want to. But that GNOME 3 seems like it's a lot more difficult, and the Unity is a lot more difficult to customize. Exactly. It, it seems like they're making, you know, a desktop environment now for people who like the Mac and who, you know, are new Linux users and not for us old hats who have been on Linux for, you know, years and like a, at least a little bit of power and, and flexibility and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, my new thing, well, not not new now, but now for a couple of years because I, I use a lot of GNOME apps, so I'll use Nautilus and, you know, I'm just used to, I like G-Edit and, you know, a bunch of, I like the GTK interface. I just kind of like the look of it. And so, uh, so I've, I've, I use OpenBox now. I've gotten pretty used to OpenBox and uh, you can use it with all the keyboard shortcuts and um, it's, a, it's, it's working out really good for me. It's really fast and uh, I use the, the, the panel I use is Tent 2, and uh, I got a whole bunch of, you know, little stuff that I like to do to it. In OpenBox, you can pretty much do anything you want to, and it's all, I, I kind of uh, like it too because it's mainly, some people don't like it, but I like it. It's XML file, so I kind of understand them. I can, I mean, there's a lot of, all the tags in there you have to kind of overlook, but uh, the I, I understand what's going on when I look at the file, you know. Yeah, I mean, XML is pretty simple compared to, you know, GNOME's GCONF and GCONF, which is basically like, you know, the Windows registry, registry is a great idea. Let's implement that. What would be your dream job? Uh, honestly, I love what I'm doing now. Uh -huh. I'm, you know, a sysadmin by day, and I do some security analysis work, you know, at as freelance kind of on the weekends and stuff and honestly I love it there's there's pretty much nothing I'd rather be doing well I'd rather you know if the systems at, at work at the sysadmin job were all Linux that would kind of be a little bit better but what can users do to improve Gen 2 or their favorite program for that matter um my thought is just contribute however you can. You know, money is nice, but in open source, monetary contributions aren't everything. You know, helping with documentation, you know, helping users in forms and IRC, um, you know, if, if, if you're kind of a developer or you want to get into being a developer, doing that is great. And it, it seems like in Gentoo, 
there are plenty of people that are more than happy to kind of teach you what you need to know to become a developer. Yeah, they, they're really looking for people that want to get involved as far as uh, being developers. They're, uh, they're trying the best they can to get people. Like I said, it just seems like that the learning curve is so great that uh, a lot of times people don't, you know, don't have the time, really. The thing is, is that people just don't have, you know, with their regular lives going on, sometimes they just don't have the time to, to uh, go through the whole process. But uh, it, there's, there's just as many people joining. It seems to me there's just as many people, developers, joining up as there is that are leaving. And one of the big assets that Gentoo has for recruiting developers is the Google Summer of Code. Uh, each year they have maybe eight or ten guys uh, or and girls that do the Google Summer of Code, and they'll get at least half or three-quarters of them that stick on to be Gentoo developers. So that's another way that's helping out. Yeah, Google Summer of Code seems like a, a it seems like a great project, but I've heard from some people that there are some downsides to it. But really, for the most part, you know, it helps everyone. It helps the students. It helps the projects, and you know, that's great. Mm -hmm. Another one of the big uh, ways that users can help. I've noticed is that uh, Zone Bugzilla is, and and if they, especially if they uh, go ahead and include a patch that fix that fixes a bug, they go ahead and report the bug, they uh, submit the patch to fix it. That's the full circle there. That's the that's the home run right there. Oh yeah, definitely. I I completely forgot about the Bugzilla for a second. How can we get users and developers working more closely? Um, I think just do as much as possible in the public. Um, you know, have kind of, you know, developers talking about what they're doing and stuff like that on IRC and, you know, the mailing lists and I guess not the forums really because that's not really a great place. But, you know, just if people are more in the public, you can see what the developers are doing, and of course, you know, in most cases, you can also communicate with them and say, you know, even if you're just a user, I think that's a bad I that might be a bad idea for these reasons. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, you might get flamed if if you're totally off base, but you know, that's kind of the price you pay for putting your ideas out in the open. I mean, Gentoo's not really about that. You know, most people in Gentoo are pretty nice, but you know, that's kind of what happens on the internet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, you get a lot of different personalities, and sometimes maybe it's not the right time to, you know, it, it, it depends. Everybody has good days and bad days. I've, I've noticed the majority of the developers are all, you know, they're just Linux users that got involved in an open source project and because they enjoy doing it. So, but sometimes they get overwhelmed at work or home, or you never know what's going on in someone's personal life, and maybe, you know, something snaps there for a minute. But I definitely wouldn't take anything personal. What I do is, is if somebody doesn't seem like they're too interested in what I have to say, I just, I just avoid them. You know, I mean, I just don't, I don't have to, you know, associate with anyone that's uh, is not enjoying themselves. You know, so I don't. You know, there's no exactly. reason to keep going with it if if it's not if, if if it doesn't seem like it's helping and they don't want to hear from me, then uh, hey, that's that's even better. There's plenty of other people out there that do. You know. Yep. What are the specs of your current boxes? Well, um, I have so many systems that you know 
it would be longer than the other, <laughs> than the rest of the interview. <laughs> but my main box that I run Gentoo on is um, eight cores, three point two gigahertz per core. It's a dual socket Xeon system with um thirty two gigs of RAM. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that sounds like the box that's been built in the live uh, DVDs. Uh, oh, yeah, it's, cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm, kind of, a, I'm a fan of Overkill. Yeah. What kind of video card do you use? Um, I'm using a NVIDIA. I think it's a GTX 590. Uh huh. I just replaced it because it died like three months ago. Uh huh. But. Uh, I'm using that, and it's outputting to uh, dual 30-inch Apple Cinema displays. How's that? Were you using the Nevada driver, the proprietary driver? Yeah, I'm using the proprietary one. Does it work pretty good? It actually works really good. Um, you know, I'd love to use Nouveau, but it's just not quite ready yet. There are too many caveats to using it. Right, right. And I don't think it works all that well on new cards, which mine's like a card that only came out like, you know, six months ago or something. Right, right. Yeah, I've been using the, I, on this box I got here is, I have a Nevada card too. I've been, I use the proprietary driver. Just, uh, I tried the Nouveau, but to be honest with you, I've been kind of lazy. I, I have a, an old XF config file. That I've been using now for the last couple of years because I have a dual screen and it's set up the way that I'm used to and the way I like it. So I don't want to change, you know. So, I oh, yeah. just, you know, I just, yeah. so I just kind of keep, you know, rolling over and rolling over, you know. You get used to the way the a screen is set up and it's, you know, I don't want to change, you know. I like the, I like it just the way it is. I don't want to change anything, you know. Exactly. There's a power that here a couple of days ago and my main monitor died. And uh, I, I was just so sad that, like, I had to go in and change things so I could use, uh, so I could still have dual monitor mm -hmm. with just a replacement 24-inch LCD I had in my basement. Describe your desktop environment or window manager, the programs you use the most, and some of, and some you want to master in the future. Um, well, basically, I, I'm kind of a typical sort of developer, uh, you know, I use, I use GNOME, uh, you know, I use Vim, Git, Firefox, and really that's pretty much it. Other than that, you know, I'm on IRC and, you know, I have an RSS reader, which is like Furia and, you know, it's, it's a pretty standard setup, I think. What are some of the uh, programs you would like to to master in the future? Really, there's... I mean, there's nothing specific. Uh -huh. um, the programs I'd really like to master is... I know, like, Portage and EIX and eQuery and some of these tools have so much power that I'm just not using. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to use more. You know, I'd, I'd like to learn how to do more with them. Describe your home network. Um, my home network is, is pretty simple. Uh, well, that's, that's actually not true. Um, 
I have the internet coming in from outside, which is uh, 100 megabit symmetric, going into a 24-port gigabit auto-sensing switch from 3Com, uh-huh. which is actually a surprisingly nice switch. Um, and, you know, all my systems that are connected via Ethernet are plugged into that. And then I have uh, three wireless routers that are uh, Asus WL500 routers plugged into that switch for my Wi-Fi in the house. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's pretty much it. You know, I have a I have uh, them doing DHCP and and all that. And I actually forgot about something because I never touch it. Uh, my internet is actually going through a smooth wall box firewall box uh-huh. before it hits the switch. What is that box? Uh, the, uh, that's just a little uh, via little mini ITX box uh-huh. that pretty much is just um, you know the DHCP server for the network and you know if I want to firewall stuff or, or something like that I can just you know connect to it in my browser and easily manage things. Mm-hmm which is kind of nice. What gives you the most enjoyment within the open source community? Honestly, you know, I love just talking to people and and working on things Mm -hmm. because you can learn so much from just, from, you know, talking to people like you and just random people in the project and, you know, working on things you know, uh, I'm one of those people who finds coding to be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Because, at least in the language I, languages I primarily work in, which is C and Perl, they allow you so much flexibility that, that you know, you get to have fun and think about design and, and do all this mm-hmm. to write your program. Is there anything I didn't ask that you would like to add? One of the more specific things I'd like to see in Gen 2, if, if, you know, anyone can do this is listening, is I'd like to see Portage get a little bit more robust because lately I've, I've been playing with a little bit, uh, Polutus, which is an alternative package manager. And while I dislike many things about it, it does get some things right. Mainly in, you know, when you tell it to install a package, the output it gives you is is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Where it tells you, you know, these are all the possible use flags. Obviously, these are which ones are set and not. And here are the descriptions. And, you know, here is why, you know, this other package is being pulled in because, you know, it's a, dep- it's a hard dependency. And... It's kind of nice that it explains all that. Mm-hmm. Whereas with, with Portage, it seems like you kind of have to go and, you know, okay, I want to know why this package is being pulled in, and you have to, you know, use another tool and do all the looking up yourself. So, you know. Sounds like maybe you could be a Portage developer. <laughs> I could be. And and I'd really like to be, but I'm unfortunately not as experienced with um, Python as I'd like to be. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, I kind of, 
you know, don't want to jump in and look like a total idiot because I don't know about Python, really. Yeah. And also, there is, you know, package core, which yeah. is sort of like, you know, portage with all the crust removed. Right, right. And it's got its own advantages. It's got a bunch of programs involved with it uh, that uh, that people really enjoy using. I'm not I'm not really that familiar with it either. So with that either. Yeah, I, I, I haven't played with it too much because it just seems kind of like a. Yeah, the 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 guy that used to maintain uh, Portage before he he retired. He's back now again as a developer. But he he did Package Core. But he used to be the main maintainer of Portage, and he got kind of tired oh. of patching and patching and patching so he basically started with a fresh slate and then created package core oh i didn't know that mm -hmm. yeah he's back now he's a, he's he's back a developer now he's uh a, a brian uh fair uh, fairing is his name i'm, I'm i hope oh, yeah. I got his last name right correctly yeah but he's been around for a long time he's a very 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 smart guy and and i would recommend to anyone who you know, really using Gentoo to use uh, Portage 2.2 because I've been using that and just the package set and, um, you know, the, the automatic kind of uh, library preservation instead of having to run RevDep rebuild all the time is really, really nice. All right, J.D., I want to thank you very much for the interview. It was great talking to you.